We're going to begin reading the passages in 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read several verses, and I'll move kind of quickly. Now there was a certain man of Ramathamizophim. I really don't know how to say that, but we're playing like that's correct, okay? Y'all with me on that? Hallelujah. Okay, he was of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah. The other one was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had none. And this man went up out of this city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah... He gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. Hey, how would it be being married to a man that has two wives, and you know that you're not the one he loves? Poor Penina. Now, she was a rascal, but she knew that her husband did not love her. He loved Hannah. He loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, talking about Penina, provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. So Penina made fun of her, ridiculed her constantly. Can you imagine if you wanted to have a child so desperately and you've got somebody living in the house with you who is ridiculing you, who's talking about you, who's tearing you down over something that's completely out of your control. This was the situation in which Hannah was living. And as he did so year by year, When she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. So it's saying that when they made this annual pilgrimage to Shiloh to worship the Lord, that the torment from Penina to Hannah increased. And she provoked her even on that trip while they're going to worship God. You ever try to get ready for church and all hell breaks loose? You're trying to get dressed. Everything's going wrong. A child throws up. Another one messes up their diaper. You know, and you got to stop and change everything. You get in the car and you got all the idiots are on the road that day. You don't know where they came from, but they're trying to run you off the road. You're catching every red light. All you're doing is trying to get to church and everything's going wrong. By the time you get to church, you need to repent because you're so frustrated. All I was doing was trying to get to church and be in the presence of the Lord with other believers and worship God, and all hell has broken loose. Well, I I get it, as you can tell, voice of experience. I can remember when my children were little, and I would bring, get them dressed, bring them to church. We lived in Port Sulphur when our oldest was a baby, and so we would drive all the way to New Orleans to church. I would always bring an extra set of clothes, and I learned shortly to bring an extra set of clothes for me and him, because the Pampers in those days didn't have elastic on the legs. Do you follow what I'm talking about? So not, sometimes he would use the bathroom and it didn't, the pamper was clean. But all his clothes and mine were not. So I had to pack all the luggage and all everything just to go to church. I'd get there and he didn't want to sit there and be quiet on the front row. I didn't want to put him in the nursery. He was an infant. I didn't want him in the nursery. I wanted him with me. 
So I ended up spending most of the time in the foyer. Oh, God, and I would stand there and I'd think, Lord, help my attitude. I know my attitude's not right because I got all dolled up and dressed up and worked hard and got here today to stand in the foyer. And y'all, we didn't have streaming or the ability to go back and watch the broadcast later. You could buy the cassette back in the day or the CD of the sermon. But what mom has time to sit by herself and listen to a cassette or a CD of a sermon uninterrupted and get the message? It was a miracle that I made it and kept my salvation through those years. Do you know what I'm talking about? She was being provoked, verse 7 said. She provoked her. And it caused Hannah to weep. Therefore, she wept. She was so distraught that she couldn't even eat. She refused to eat. I've been in places in my life before where I was so distraught that my appetite was gone. I know y'all can't believe that looking at me, but that has happened a day or a time or a meal or two where I didn't even have an appetite because I was so upset and stressed out with things going on in my life. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul. Now that doesn't mean she was bitter and a wicked and hateful and unforgiving woman. It means she was so brokenhearted. She, her, she was in bitterness of soul. She was just, you know, a wreck, so wounded, because she desperately wanted to have a child, and it wasn't happening. She prayed unto the Lord and she wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah She spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. Wow, look at that. The man of God, the priest, had no discernment. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Oh, does this sound like some of us in this room? We've been through so much that all we do is we pour out our soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial or Satan. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early, and they worshipped before the Lord, and they returned, and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Oh, sorry, I missed a space there. 
Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Now there's so many things that we're going to cover in this today. I don't know how far along I'll get. I'm watching the clock. But there are so many things we can learn from this. I remember when I preached this many years ago, I think it was 2007, when I preached from this passage. That's a long time. And I preached on the desperation of a mother. And I came from that angle. But today, we're coming from, as I said earlier, a little bit different angle. I got tickled as I was talking about Brandon a minute ago as a baby. Because last night, after his Saturday services, our son's a pastor. So after his Saturday services, he texted me last night. He said, Mom, happy Mother's Day Eve. And I have to tell you right now, I'm so sorry for all the times that I worked on your patience. Because right now, my sons are working on my patience. He went on and on. You'd have to know him. He's absolutely hysterical. I was cracking up out loud reading the whole thing. <laughs> he said, I'm re he said, this is one of those principles of sowing and reaping. He said, and I know it. And mom, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but he was a, 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 both of my children. I was very blessed. Wonderful children, of course, as my husband said, if you start the day off and you beat them first thing in the morning, then you don't have much trouble with them during the day. Of course, that never happened, but that's what he'll say. <laughs> Brandon was the type that if we just looked at him and he knew he had disappointed us, it broke his heart. So he would start apologizing. Bethany was the type that if my husband would hit her, slap her leg or something, she'd look at him and tears coming down her cheek and she'd say, that didn't hurt, do it again. <laughs> so we had two children, totally different. <laughs> Twice in the passages that I just read to you, we see the phrase repeated, the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord closed Hannah's womb. This passage clearly suggests that God was directively and directly and actively responsible for Hannah's barrenness. God closed her womb for his own divine sovereign purposes. Similarly, there are times when the Lord does not reveal to us the reasons behind our closed womb. See, she didn't know. She did not know why God closed her womb. Our closed womb might not actually be a closed womb. It might be a failed relationship. It might be a chronic illness or difficulty in the workplace, the death of someone who's close, or financial pressure. Our closed womb can be anything. You fill in the blank what is the area in your life where there has been a closed womb, where you're needing a miracle to take place that's driving you desperately to cry out to God. A closed womb can be anything that weighs us down and refuses to go away. In those instances, when the Lord does not reveal to us the reasons for our barrenness, we must simply trust him, knowing he does all things well. Y'all, sometimes trusting God is not easy. Especially if we have had people in our own life who were close to us, who we should have been able to count on, 
who betrayed our trust. And most of us in this room, though I don't know all the situations in this room, but I have a feeling most of us in this room, I know for myself, I've had that happen. People who I should have been able to con confide in, lean on, trust in, find security in, find, you know, protection with, they betrayed. So my trust has been wounded. We can look back over Hannah's life and we can see the purpose behind Hannah's great trial. Now we can. But at the time she was going through it, just like most of us, she couldn't see it. She never had that luxury. The Lord never revealed the whys and the wherefores to Hannah's barrenness. When the Lord does not reveal to us the reason for our barrenness, we must simply trust him knowing he does all things well. Amen. Annually, when Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival, Penino, provoked her until she wept and she would not eat. Penino was a source of constant irritation. Commentators say that, she, that the following is probably what happened. That Penina showed off her own children saying, now Hannah, show us your sons. Penina implied that she had God's blessings, but Hannah had been cursed by God. Penina's goal seemed to be making Hannah's thunder against browbeat or bully Hannah. Penina was a bully. Hannah was a good woman and a godly wife, yet her life was not turning out the way that she had planned. For Hannah, life was not fair. How many of us in this room have said, and some of us even recently, life is not fair? It's not. Sometimes bad people succeed and good people suffer. I don't know why. I've even seen that in ministry. I'm as human as the next person. I can look at certain ministries and think, how are they flourishing? And how is this one struggling? What sense is there in that? I don't understand that. Many people don't deserve what they get, and many people don't get what they deserve because life is not fair. 1 Samuel 1.8, Elkanah her husband would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? I know we read that, but we're coming back through that again. And this is where the narrative turns briefly into a love story. Because Elkanah had two wives. And yet the scripture emphasizes the special relationship between Hannah and Elkanah by attaching the description her husband to her name. The Bible refers to um, Elkanah as... Hannah's husband, but never uses that phrase regarding Penina. Penina had Elkanah's children, but Hannah had her husband's love, or, or what I wrote there was had their husband's love. Elkanah then asks four questions. Now, I'm going to segue for a minute. I'm going right into this. You could just leave that slide if you don't mind. Thank you so much for all your assistance with the media department. What a blessing. Ladies, let's just be honest and say sometimes our guys don't get us. Because sometimes we just don't make sense. Now, we can say that and no man who has his right mind will say amen out loud. Under your breath would be a wise move, not out loud. Because Father's Day is coming. You want to be celebrated. 
But sometimes our guys just don't get us. And sometimes it's very frustrating because to us, what we're thinking makes all the sense in the world. Why don't they see what we see? What is your problem? You can't see what I'm dealing with and what I'm going through. That's how we can feel. They, on the other hand, are saying, man, I love this girl. I, I hate that she's so upset and she's so frustrated. Did I do something wrong? They're always worried, did we do something wrong? And it, usually when we're upset, it's got nothing to do with them. It's everything else. But because they're there, they get the brunt of it. Wait, I told you don't say amen. <laughs> Just think it, John. Says your sister-in-law telling you, think it, don't say it. <laughs> so this is where Elkanah was. Um, Elkanah was. He's first of all, he's got trouble already because he got two wives. Can't imagine. He knows that the girl can't have children. He doesn't know if it's his fault, her fault, but they all believed it was her fault. So you know that was just the custom. I mean, don't you think she got so aggravated when he asked her these questions? I would have been so aggravated. Ask me these obvious questions. Honey, honey, why are you weeping? You know, you want to say you nutcase? You don't know? I've been weeping year after year after year. We keep trying. We can't have a baby. I'm rejected by everybody. I'm criticized by everybody. I've got this cloud of shame over me everywhere I go that I'm carrying because I don't not only have children, but I don't have a son. So I'm considered worthless and useless. And you want to ask me why I'm crying. Although they'd been married for many years, he seemed that he did not have a clue. Bless his heart. Maybe he didn't see the way that Penina was treating Hannah. And that's possible. You know, the Bible doesn't explain all that. I don't know if Penina was a little, you know, smart bully. And she knew to only pick on Hannah when he wasn't around. Could have been. Could have been the situation. Maybe he never heard all that. Maybe he didn't understand and he couldn't. As a man, even though he may have wanted a child as well, he could not fully understand the ache in her heart over being barren. Maybe he didn't sense the general frustration with life that she was encountering. Maybe he didn't see her shame or how she felt less than. But that was the first question he asked her. Why are you weeping? Second one was, why don't you eat? In an earlier verse, we read where the husband had actually given Hannah a double portion of the meat. It said because he loved her, he gave her more of the food. He knew she was needing food. She needed to eat. He was worried about her. You know how it is. Your family members, you come in the house and they want you to eat. And if you're not eating, what's the matter with you? And even if you're on a diet, my husband adores me. And you can see why. I mean, you know, who can adore this? And I could tell him, I've done this over the years, and he's not going to get his feelings hurt, so y'all don't worry. I'm not picking on him. I'm just being honest. He's nervous wreck. <laughs> I could say, baby, I really got to go on a diet. He'd say, okay. In a little while, he'd come in the door and he'd have po'boys. Oh, man. 
and I wanted the po' boys. So there goes the diet. So then, because I broke the diet, well, I might as well wait till Monday, and then I'll start dieting again. I've been waiting on Monday a long time, y'all. Maybe one day Monday will come. But they want you to eat. So he was worried about her because she wasn't eating. At the same time, while he failed to understand her tears, he also failed to discern the cause of her loss of appetite. Now, if you ever hear me preach, you always hear me talking about discernment, and discernment is a must. We read in this story, we learn in this story, that Eli the priest didn't have discernment. Elkanah was a godly man. He didn't have discernment. Then he asked her a third question, why are you downhearted? Hannah wasn't just upset every now and then. The Bible points out she'd been upset over a period of years. Number four, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Now, guys, let me just tell you. When you're trying to encourage your woman, don't turn it on you and make it poor, pitiful me. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Can't you just snap out of this and get over it? No, she can't. She cannot. Because she was born with the concept of having the children. It's a God-given thing, innate inside of little girls when they're born. We want to have children. We want baby dolls. And we play with those baby dolls learning how to be a mother one day. He just didn't get it. Hannah's husband wrongly thought that his love for her could remove her pain. However, nothing except for a supernatural healing from the Lord in her spirit or the birth of her own child could take away her sense of desolation and loss. In the midst of her anguish, he managed to make it all about himself, and he said, am I not more to you than ten sons? Why are you so upset? He didn't give her the emotional support that she needed. He obviously didn't know how, as he could not fully understand her situation, but he loved her. I dare say that there are families under the sound of my voice, whether they're watching online or in this room, that are in that same condition. You love your spouse. You love your family members with everything inside of you, but you just can't relate to how they think and why they can't snap out of certain situations certain depressions, certain discouragements and oppressions and mindsets. But without the unction and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can't have a transformed mind. We have to yield to God and let him do the work in us. It is not my husband's job to fix it for me. Christ paid the price and provided for me everything I will ever need to walk in total freedom and victory over every situation. It is my responsibility to touch the hem of the garment of Jesus Christ, to have such a relationship with the Holy Spirit that I let him come in and do the work in my life, in my mind, in my heart to transform me so that I can walk in happiness. It is not another human being's responsibility to fix you. I said it, and y'all still love me. It's your responsibility to fix you. And if you don't, then you're nullifying the price that Jesus paid for you because he made all this provision and you're refusing to take it and apply it in your lives. Women, our families need us. Men, your families need you. 
We've got to grow up. There's a saying, put your big girl panties on and grow up. That's to the women. We got to grow up and stop blaming everybody else. Yes, stuff's happened to all of us. Issues have happened to all of us that we didn't ask for, that we didn't bring on ourselves, that we did not deserve. And either we will live our entire lives holding on to that as a crutch, or we're going to do something about it. 1 Samuel 1, verses 9 and 10. And this is the verse that that pastor read that caused my baby to jump. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Hannah rose. They were sitting at the table eating, and all of a sudden, Hannah decided that Hannah had had enough. And until we get to the place that we've had enough of listening to the torments of our paninas in our life, who are finding all of our faults, all of our failures, and constantly reminding us of them, like we all remember them and know them ourselves. But they think it's their God-given duty to remind us of where we failed, what we did wrong. And as long as we sit there and take it, they will keep dumping on us. They will continue to take advantage of us. But women of God, we've got to get to a place where we're going to say, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the work of the enemy on my life. I've had enough of the control of the enemy on my life. And she rose. In my research the past two weeks, I came across an elderly African-American pastor who preaches a sermon called Hannah Rose. I decided to listen to it. He said, when I heard the video that I heard, he preached it about, uh, I think it was 2018 or something. And he said that he'd preached it over 25 times across the United States. And everywhere he'd preach it, he would say, if there are moms in this room that are expectant and you're having a girl, name her Hannah Rose. There are over 20 babies, he knows, that are named Hannah Rose as a result of him preaching that message. I thought, wow, what an impact. Because he got the message in the mom's heart to raise that little girl, to understand that because of Jesus Christ's power inside of me, I can rise up against every adversity and I don't have to be controlled. Amen? We don't have to be controlled. The only person we should be controlled by is the Holy Spirit, and he won't violate that. He will only come in and take control if we yield that to him. Amen? Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, and in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Once a year, Elkanah and family took a pilgrimage to Shiloh. There they worshiped and offered sacrifices. Verse 9 points out that when the meal was finished, Hannah rose. This was Hannah's tipping point. She had had it up to here. She had had enough of being barren. She had had enough of the bullying of Penina. She had had enough of hurt because her husband just didn't get it. She had had enough of being the object of people's pity and their criticism. She had had enough of the pain to last a thousand lifetimes. So Hannah rose. She stood up. When will you stand up? When will you rise? You can't sit here and just keep blaming everyone else. Let me tell you something. Little ones are watching your pattern. 
And you're going to teach them that in everything in life we make excuses. Well, this happened to me when I was little, and that's how my grandmother was, and that's the attitude that one had, whatever. And you are perpetuating it to the next generation instead of finding the goodness in them and pulling goodness and greatness out of them and challenging them. We should be the shoulders on which they stand so that they can go forth into the greatness that God has for them. But we can't if we choose to stay sitting in all of our funk. Hannah's vulnerability and her social status did not hold her back. In the middle of her despair, her physical, emotional, and spiritual barrenness, in the middle of her deep distress, she rose. One might have expected some other word. Someone might have thought that Hannah broke. She had a breakdown. She just couldn't take it anymore. Or you might have thought Hannah took a knife because she wanted to take her life and end it all because she gave up, because she just couldn't take it anymore. Hannah lashed out at all of them and told them a piece of her mind, just what she thought about all of them. She told Penina off. She told her husband, get a clue. She told them, that's what you might think would have happened. But it's not what happened. How are you responding to the adversity in your life and to the people God has placed in your life? Are you lashing out? Are you just saying, well, I'm just going to have a breakdown. I just can't take anymore. Or are you saying enough is enough? I will not be defeated. My Lord and Savior was not defeated. And that's my supreme example. He said that he's causing me to triumph, but I got to do something about it. I got to take action myself. In the middle of all the soul-crushing experience, one morning at the temple, Hannah rose. She got up. She stood up. She pushed through her pain, her hopelessness, her barrenness, her shame, and she marched right up to the sacred space. That's what she did. You might ask, what did she do when she stood up? She went to pray. She went to worship God and she went to pray. To pour her heart out to God. Y'all, prayer changes things. We don't know because most of us don't pray. Instead, we get on the phone and call everybody else. Or we text them, hey, can you pray about this? But we're not praying. We got an army of people praying for us and all of our crazy things going on. When did you pray? How important is it to you? When did you cry out to God? I had a friend who told me that she's been anointing everything in the house so much with oil that she's actually, one, rubbed paint off of some of the furniture from where the oil has been placed. That's what I'm talking about. They're giving you torment. They're giving you issues. You go in their room. You put on worship music when they're not there. You take authority. You drive out every demonic spirit. You anoint that bedroom. Anoint that pillow. And don't tell them you did it. Good Lord, they'll get another pillow. They're running from the call of God. They don't want to experience the anointing. Because the anointing destroys every yoke of bondage. Some people like their demons. They're playing with their demons. They're having their own party. That'll last a little while, but it's somewhere. There's going to be a, a reckoning point. A tipping point for Hannah. In the middle of all that, she pushed through her pain. 
and her barrenness and her shame. And she went to prayer. Hannah's name is one of those names like mom. It's spelled the same way forwards and backwards, mom and dad. H-A-N-N-A-H, H-A-N-N-A-H. It's spelled the same way, coming and going. God anointed her for breakthrough, coming and going. When heaven's agendas and needs and the needs of humanity are brought together, it creates a rising situation. So Hannah's, it's time for you to rise. Studying this, my mind immediately went to Judges, to Deborah. I shared earlier I love to preach about Deborah. And Deborah said at one point, as she's talking about the victory that she led the Israelites to, she said, and I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. She took responsibility. She took action. She rose. Hannah was carrying in her an agent of change. This is why there was so much opposition. You see, prior to Samuel's birth, we just had all the judges, and it was now time for a monarchy and the kings to begin getting in place. Because it was Samuel who was the one who anointed King David through whose lineage Jesus Christ came. There was a purpose. There was a purpose in the pain. Say out loud, say, there is a purpose in my pain. I may not see it now. Say that. I may not see it now. But I trust God. There's a purpose, y'all, in your pain. And if you will push beyond, and if you will trust God, refuse to just sit there and take it, but rise up. Hannah rose. We need to rise up, stand up, make a difference, cause the change to take place. There's a powerful rising in the space where God's passion and human needs meet. If we open up to the possibility and promise, even and especially in seasons of crises, we experience the hand of God. Y'all, the Bible is filled with Hannah stood up type of moments. I listed a few here, and it's on the screen. It's Moses who stood up, standing before Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and he said to Pharaoh the king, let my people go. It's Esther the queen agreeing to appear before the king on behalf of her people, the Jews, saying, if I die, I die. It's Deborah going out to battle and defeating the enemy. It's David, a mere shepherd boy at the time, facing down the giant Goliath while saying to King Saul, your majesty, this Philistine should not turn us into cowards. I will go out and fight him myself. David stood up. It is Jesus setting his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. And at this point, he put the devil, the flesh, and the world on notice that he was going to go to the cross Die there and then rise again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The first thing Hannah did after she stood up was she prayed. She knew if her closed womb was to be opened, God would have to get involved in her situation. The Bible literally contains hundreds of prayers, but rarely is it so detailed as the prayer of Hannah. There are some key elements to her prayer. I'm going to try to go through them quickly, being conscious as of the time. 
The Bible says here that Hannah prayed in bitterness of soul. We see that in verse 10, Hannah prayed. Her prayer would intensify as it went along. Verse 10, she wept before the Lord. Verse 11, she made a vow. Verse 12, she kept on praying. Verse 15, she was praying in her heart. Then she poured out her soul to the Lord. She prayed in great anguish and grief. She was a woman desperate to get a remedy for her pain, shame, and barrenness. In James 5.16, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous man availeth much, has great power, and produces wonderful results. When a believing person prays, great things happen. Author and pastor Jim Cimbala Uh, from New York, he wrote, desperate and soul-stirring prayers result in answers. When God is sought in desperation, he responds. Number two, Hannah prayed to the Lord. This is spelled out in the verses I read to you. Like the psalmist of old, she knew that her help came where? From the Lord, from the one who made the heavens and the earth. Author Philip Yancey wrote, God has not promised a state of constant bliss or a problem-free existence, but he promised to be present in the silence and in the dark, to exist alongside us, within us, and for us. Hannah was confident that in spite of the deafening silence of God, in spite of her long-standing barrenness, God was still her God, and he was still with her, and that he was still for her. Number three, she prayed while standing. Verse nine indicates that Hannah stood up and she prayed. I listed there, I won't read them all, but several postures the Bible talks about people take when they're praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. It means we are to be in a constant state of God consciousness and praying. The posture is not as important as the need. Amen? Oh, man, this crazy thing is trying to make me download Adobe. Hang on, y'all. I don't want Adobe right now. Hannah prayed silently is number four, 1 Samuel 1, 12 to 13. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. She was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. The nature of her prayer was private. Possibly she was silent because she didn't want some naysayer to tell her that God would not open her barren womb. Or she didn't want her cries to be a matter of public discussion at the water well the next morning. Maybe she didn't want others to hear her personal and private conversation with God. She was talking to the Lord about matters that were deeply personal. Psalms 139 verse 4 says, Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. See, God knows. And in Isaiah it says, He knows what we're going to ask before we ever ask. Before you ever call upon Him. He already knows. But then in the New Testament, He tells us why He wants us to ask. He says, You have not because you ask not. Or you ask amiss that you would consume it upon your own lust. In other words, we make our prayer greedy and all about ourselves and self-satisfying. So there is a way to pray, and the Bible spells it out for us. Of course, the great pattern of our prayer is the Lord's Prayer found in Matthew. Number five, Hannah prayed, <coughs> excuse me, sacrificially. <coughs> 1 Samuel 1.11, she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. According to the law of Moses, Hannah was duty-bound to report this vow to her husband. As head of the family, 
He had until sundown to cancel the vow if he did not agree with it. The fact that the terms of this vow were in fact fulfilled indicates that her husband, in effect, agreed with his wife on this vow. As a Levite, the son normally would serve at the tabernacle from age 25 or 30 to 50. <clears throat> Hannah, however, proposed a dedication which would be for all the days of his life. Now I can't imagine. I can't imagine going through all that and then bringing my two-year-old to live at the house of God. And then when you study more in the next few chapters and you find out how messed up Eli was, he was so off base. And then his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, having, uh, we have children in here, but having relations with the women in the foyer of the church, so to speak. And your baby's being raised there by that man? Oh, my. I cannot imagine. She would not be able to hear his laughter as he was out playing. She would not be there for him when he was sick. She would not be the one who would teach him the things of God, the values, and the lessons of life. She was forfeiting all of that and more. Number six, she prayed specifically. Y'all, sometimes we're not specific in our prayers. Get specific in your prayer. Tell God exactly what it is you want. Ask him to bring it about. God, I need this to happen. I need that to happen. I've been agreeing with Rhonda for her dad. We've been praying for her dad. Thank God we got the report yesterday that even though they lost him a couple of times two days ago, that he does still have brain activity. Hallelujah. He's still on oxygen, but now he's breathing a little bit better. They've been able to lower the numbers. We're specific in our prayer as we pray for Mr. Roberts. I know what the needs are. She shared them with me. I've shared them with others. And together we're praying and we're calling this out loud. And we're saying, God, this is what we need you to do. We're believing you. We're standing on your word. We're standing on your promises. Amen. She was specific. She wanted a son. It was a son or nothing. Only a baby boy would remedy the pain that was in her house and her marriage, pain in her marriage and in her womb. 1 Samuel 1, 12-14 says, As she continued praying, Eli took her to be drunk. We read that already. We'll keep moving. Verse Number 7, key element to her prayer, she prayed expectantly. 1 Samuel 1, 18, Then the woman went her way and ate. And her face was no longer sad. She knew that God had heard her and all was well. Verses 19 and 20 says, Early the next morning they arose and worshiped before the Lord. And we read these earlier. But she went back home. I was reading some things and researching this. Said, can't you imagine that she danced down the streets the whole way back home? Because she now had peace. She now had the joy of the Lord. Even though she'd been praying for all these years, something happened because she made a choice to stand up in the face of the adversity. Stand up. My husband shared this not long ago. Many years ago, we went to a prophetic gathering out of state. <clears throat> and a man was leading it who... Uh, he has told, you know, the world that God has called him to raise up prophets. And he's a powerful man of God. And so we went there to a training session, brought several of our church people with us. Two days before we left, Garland had brought me roses. We're sitting, that's significant, so hang on to that thought. 
So while we're sitting there in the meeting with several of our church members around, they had divided us all up into different groups. This lady who was learning to flow in the prophetic <clears throat> stood up and she started prophesying to Garland and I had us sit in two chairs and started prophesying to us. And she said, you got trouble in your marriage. I'm like, wait a minute, we don't have any trouble in our marriage. What are you talking about? And we got all these church people here that we're leading and we brought here and what are you doing? You're planting all this trash in their heads and what are you talking about? So then she went on to say, she said to Garland, she said, you don't do the little things anymore. You never bring her flowers. You never this. She started saying, well, now look, I was raised as a preacher's kid. I was always told if something goes wrong, you keep your mouth shut about it because you'll split the church wide open. You know, I grew up not saying this out loud until I got my out of the house. But I decided to split the church wide open and let them go. Because if they're troublemakers and they don't care and they're stirring up trouble, we don't need them in the house. We need hungry hearts in the house. People that want to touch from God, a move from God, not troublemakers. Well, anyway, back to the story. As this happened and she said, you don't even bring her flowers anymore. I stood up and startled even myself when I stood up. I said, I'm sorry. I understand your training to be in a prophetic voice, but everything you've said since you opened your mouth is wrong. And we will not sit here and allow you to speak this over our lives, into our lives, into our marriage. So I'm standing in opposition of what you're saying and rejecting that. And we will not receive that word because it is not the word of the Lord. Well, she went and told the guy in charge, and then he came and wanted to meet with us and wanted us to just kick it under the rug. And we said, we're not kicking it under the rug. And bye-bye, Felicia. We're leaving. We're not going to stay here submitted to this because this is crazy. You might be a blessing and help other people, and he has been and still continues to be. But he couldn't. And I, he came to our church years later, and he told my dad, he said, I want to pray for your kids and bless them, but I've tried, but I just can't seem to bless them. We're like, good, because we don't want you praying over us. We don't let just anybody pray over us. We don't let just anybody lay hands on us. We never did let that happen to our children either. Why? Because we've always pressed for discernment. Now, that was lanyap, not even in my notes. See there? It just came right on out. The Lord was gracious to Hannah. After the birth of Samuel, Hannah had five more children. Isn't that amazing? All these years, couldn't have any. Now she had a total of six. Hannah gave the Lord one child. He gave her six, and she kept five of them because she sent uh, Samuel to the house of the Lord. The Bible tells us Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He was a man of prayer. He heard the voice of God. He started the school of the prophets that we read about in the Word of God, an ancient Bible college. In time, all of Israel would come to testify that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. It was Samuel who would anoint David to be king over all Israel. And eventually from David would come an even greater king, the Lord Jesus Christ and Savior. The synopsis of Hannah's story, one oppressed lady, one barren womb, one powerful prayer, one amazing son, status change because she stood up. 
Some of you are suffering today from an area of barrenness in your life. Is it possible that like Hannah, you're barren for a reason? Maybe the Lord's waiting for you to stand up and confront your barrenness in a place of prayer and tears. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not telling you to stand up and start chewing everybody out. Because that's what our flesh wants to do. And sometimes that's what they need. But you get yourself all worked up, your blood pressure up, you get stressed out, and you got nowhere from it. Because they're not going to receive it if you're lashing out. Nobody, are you going to receive it if somebody's lashing out at you? No. Well, they're not going to receive it either. So there has to be a time. Here again, I go back to discernment. You have to discern the time, the words to use, and the way to approach challenging situations. And when your heart is right, God will show you. He will show you all of that. Maybe the Lord's waiting for you to stand up and confront your barrenness in a place of prayer and tears. Maybe he's simply waiting to move until you move and until you have had enough. You've got to come to the place where you say, enough is enough. I've had enough. Hannah's been down long enough, and this time she rose in her despair. She presented herself boldly before God. Her desperation made her blind, and her blindness made her bold. But undergirding it all was God. Desperation and desire, desire knock us, despair knock us down and bring us to our knees when all else fails. Hannah was so bold, she asked God to do a new thing. She was desperate, but not without hope. While her prayer was provoked by pain, it was not confined to her pain. I love that. I didn't write that. I'd like to take claim for it, but I didn't write it. Her, her prayer was provoked by pain, but it was not confined to her pain. She combined, combined the power of her despair with her faith and making her and it made her bold to ask God for divine intervention. She did not edit or refine her prayer. She presented her heart's desire to God. What does boldness ask of us? Francis Bacon, who was a 16th century philosopher, had an interesting answer to this question, and he said, boldness is ever blind, for it sees not dangers and inconveniences when it is bad in counsel, though good in execution. Our boldness requires blindness. I have a few more slides, just, well, just one more, actually. I'll read it, and then I'll close in prayer. Hannah's faithful boldness sparked God to do a new thing. God remembered her, and she bore a son. And in Samuel's life, he played a decisive role in legitimating the change governmentally for Israel that culminated in the kingship of David. He played a role in the defeat of the Philistines and in the concentration of religious, political, and economic authority in Jerusalem, the beginning of the monarchy of Israel, and eventually he anointed King David, and he established the beginning of a new life for Israel because Hannah was willing to stand up. She made a decision, enough is enough, and she stood up. She caused a status change. No longer did her status say that she was just married with no children. Now she had all these children that God blessed her with because she made a decision. She had a status change. 
And she was carrying in her womb an agent of change because everything changed once Samuel got into leadership. What are you carrying inside of you? What are you supposed to be birthing? Why are you barren? Is it your own decisions? Is it because you play in the blame game all the time and blaming it on this and that and the other thing from your past? Or are you taking responsibility for your own actions? Okay, so all these things happen, but God equipped me to come through it and overcome it, so what am I doing about it? Where are you? I can't answer that for you. Some of you, I may know a little bit about you or your situation, and I could give you some guidance. But what are you doing about it? Because nothing will change until you make a decision to change. Stop blaming your spouse. Stop blaming your past. Stop blaming your family. And you do you, boo. You fix it. You change. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for examples throughout your word. Oh, gosh, we, we learned so much from all of the examples that are in your word. It's amazing. Even this story of Hannah, I've preached on it before three or four different times, totally different messages every time. Because every time we read it, as we allow your discernment and your revelation to take place in our life, God, it just comes through with new, fresh revelation. So, God, I ask you to anoint us that we would have fresh revelation. Lord, anoint our ears to hear. Lord, we are living just like Israel was in a bad place, in a bad time. Governmental structures, a mess, chaos everywhere. It's time for Hannah's to rise, for Deborah's to rise, for men to rise. It's time for us to get beyond our barrenness, for us to stand up. And for us to allow you to birth in us what you destined us to fulfill and to accomplish in this lifetime. Father, I pray for those in this room that are in agony right now because of hurt, because of barrenness, because of broken relationships. I ask you, Father God, to grant them supernatural wisdom about how to handle every challenge that is before them. Lord, may this be a beautiful, a wonderful, a peaceful Mother's Day where every lady feels celebrated. Father, may we as families come together and show honor when honor is due and to whom honor is due. Father, I just speak blessings on every household. Health, strength, abundance, abundance and supernatural breakthrough and turnaround. Thank you, Lord, for lifting and crushing oppression and depression and discouragement. Thank you that you've already equipped us for everything we need to walk and live the triumphant life you destined us to. In Jesus' precious name, amen.